I'm Martin Shipton, Chief Reporter of Media Wales, and you're listening to my podcast, Martin Shipton Meets. I'm Martin Shipton. I'm here today with Debbie Wilcox, and uh, Debbie is uh, the leader of Newport City Council, and she's also the leader of the Welsh Local Government Association. Debbie, Tell me a bit about your background, because you're not originally from Newport, are you? No, I've lived here um, 35 years, so a relative newcomer, Martin, in the in the scheme of things. But I'm a Valleys girl. I was born in Tylerstown in the Rhondda, grew up largely in Pontegwaith. Parents moved to Porth just before I left. Um, I'm one of the last of the grammar school girls. I went to Porth County Girls Grammar. Uh, and then went off to find fame, just like Dick Whittington, off to London. Um, I went to the University of London and the Central School of Speech and Drama. I was there at the same time as um, somebody called Jen Saunders. I don't know what happened to her, but I'm the leader of Newport. That's right. <laughs> and you, I think uh, you're still in touch with her a bit, aren't you? Well, I, I yeah, I, I saw we had a huge centenary celebration in 2006. It was a Sunday night at the Old Vic Theatre. Um, and... Um, my partner was really surprised because uh, I act, it actually showed that I knew these people because they said, hello, Debbie, to me. And I'm like, I told you I knew him. And what's more, they knew me. So there's a certain blend of notoriety. Someone else that I knew as well, but I wasn't at drama school with, um, was Victoria Wood. I met her firstly in the late 70s in London at an event. And we kept in touch and she was absolutely wonderful because I was just a, a bit of a super fan. But, you know, I'd go and see her backstage if she was in Cardiff or, or Newport. She'd always say hello. She'd always have time to speak. And she sent a Christmas card every year. So she died just two years ago now, wasn't it? The 20th of April. And so many people contacted me because they knew that, you know, I had that um, uh, tie with her. And I just think, you know, I think she was up. She was just brilliant. And I was just really sorry. You know, we, we lost her far too young. So when you studied drama, did you ever have any ambition to walk the boards yourself? Of course I did. I was going to be famous. You know, I turned out to be infamous. But um, I, I, I had a writing partner at the time. So we were into songwriting. We had a, we had a publishing contract with Rack Records, Mickey Most. Those were the days, you know, Smokey, Kim Wilde, Hot Chocolate and all that. And we had a producer called Brenda Brooker. And we used to do lots of stuff with um, Eurovision and uh, writing songs and producing. And the irony is, uh, if we go back to Jen Saunders for a second, they they started the comedy store and it was in Nell Gwynn's strip club <laughs> on the corner of Meard Street and Dean Street in Soho. And they used to say to me, why don't you come down? Because you're funny. I say, what do you mean I'm going to be in the pop music business, you know? And we were recording in a, in, a, in a studio called Leeward Sound. And that was on the third floor. And the comedy store was in the basement of the same building. So my life's been a bit like sliding doors, you know. I've gone through the wrong one a few times, Martin. But, you know, there we are. And, of course, you ended up teaching drama. I did, yes. I taught for over 30 years um, and I was also I became the principal examiner for theatre studies for the whole of the UK. Um, a, a really wonderful time, uh, a really interesting job. Um, and that kept me away from frontline politics um, because I just loved being a teacher and I was good at it. You know, my, my reputation is out there. 
Uh, I enjoyed that engagement. But the draw of politics is such that, you know, it's a bit like Shere Khan in um, in Jungle Book. You know, those eyes rotate and it draws you in and it draws you in. And it's, it's just, um, for me, it's an extension of public service. Just staying with uh, drama for a minute or two, who are your favourite dramatists? Well, I love Ibsen. Um, I've been in his house in Oslo. Have you? It's flat, yes. Yeah? Um, I, you know, they talk about him as the father of modern drama, but, you know, Hedda Gabler and A Doll's House, I, I taught it regularly over the years. And the way that a man writes about women in those, and seeing real people on stage for the first time, which is, of course, what it is. You know, I never tire of, of productions um, of those works. Um, and in terms of, um, of modern playwrights, um, I guess, uh, you know, people like Willie Russell, who writes about real people. I mean, I think, you know, Educating Rita was a clarion call for, um, for people to be able to do things and not to be held back by their circumstances. There's a line in Educating Rita where she talks about she's, you know, hearing her parents and her husband sing in the pub. And she says that, you know, she can't go in there because... I have better songs to sing, and I, that really resonates with me with that. And the, the modern, modern stuff, well, you know, I, I try and get up to London whenever I can. In fact, I, I went to Stratford um, over Easter, and I saw the new um, restoration comedy they've got there, Mrs. Rich. Absolutely wonderful, because when you do go to these places, you, you know, it's top-class people with the best set lighting and costume you can see and, and wonderful experiences. And that's what I used to try and do for the children I taught, was to take them to venues like that um, to see the best. Do you like Pinter? Well, I'll give you a story about that. <clears throat> um, uh, we had eight, eight papers as our finals um, of our degree in Central, but one of those papers was substituted where you had to direct a one-act play. So I directed Landscape by Pinter, which is a, it's a very bleak drama, but it's a very doable one because you've only got two actors in it, which is you know, quite, quite an easy cast to, to manage. It's a huge amount of work. Uh, and one of the things about going to Central was that you had access to people, people like Dame Peggy Ashcroft, who was uh, in the original production of Landscape. So she was um, on the Board of Governors of Central or a trustee or whatever, um, and I was able to make an appointment to go and see her. I didn't realise at the time, really. I knew it was good, but, you know, when I look back, it was magnificent. So I went to her mansion in Hampstead. I was met at the door by her butler. You know, there was a beautiful portrait of her on the wall as a younger woman, uh, the BAFTA Award. And while I was there, Vanessa Redgrave's mother, Rachel Kempson, was it, rang her because I could hear the conversation, and she was saying, no, darling, I can't give... Vanessa and Corinne any more money I don't believe in that political stuff or words and I'm thinking blimey you know she's talking about Vanessa Redgrave here um and she, uh, you couldn't get near Pinter even though he he went to Central and you know there was a connection there but she rang him while I was there and said I've got a student from Central here darling can you you know can you tell me a bit about landscape so I can talk to her about it it's gobsmacking, you know, and, and it's that kind of access, you know, a girl from the valleys getting that kind of access at that top level. You see, that's how those upper echelons of society work. Now, I had a glimpse of that as a student, 
And, you know, I've, a couple of things you know, have happened, you know, in my career since. But, you know, that, that was a highlight. And it just made me see that, you know, people operate at different levels of society. And I just saw that insight just for that brief moment. How did you shed your Valley's accent then? Uh, we did stuff like O-O-R-A-E exercises around the place. And uh, it's funny because although I've got, I, I would say, a kind of, you know, middle range accent at the moment. But, you know, w- when I'm in London, it sounds very, very Welsh. It just doesn't sound as Welsh um, because I've, I've, and I always used to try with the, with the, with the children as well, just to get them to speak clearly. It's, it's, it's not so much about an accent, but it's about making yourself heard and communicating clearly. And, and if you do have a regional accent, well, it's something to be proud of. I guess, I guess it's not so much an issue now as it was 30 years ago. One of the interesting things about Harold Pinter was that in his early career, he was very much seen as an exponent of the theatre of the absurd. Mm. And he wasn't explicitly writing about political matters but in his latter years mm. he moved over didn't he and he was actually writing mm. very powerful yeah. dramas about yes. things happening in the Middle East yes. about people being yeah. tortured and mm. about all manner of oppression which in a strange way was uh, linked to his early work mm. but it became more explicitly political mm. have you made the mm. same kind of transition well I, I thank you Martin for putting me in the same category as Harold Pinter I, I <laughs> I've never quite thought of myself as that. Um, I think I think what I've done is I've joined the ranks of the politicians. I think I've always been overtly political. You know, I was always... Um, I, I, For example, I first met Jane Hutt when I was a sixth former um, in, in grammar school in Porth. And there was these things called, um, you know, feminists and a magazine called Spare Rib mm-hmm. and meetings in Cardiff that you could get on, you know, you got on the Mardi bus. I think it was the 332, you know, you could get straight down the A470 and get to Cardiff. And so I met women like her um, who were fantastic role models, but I didn't see the explicit link with actual politics then. I mean, you know, joined the Labour Party as a student. And then that membership kind of, you know, went fallow during the 80s and 90s as you as one got on with one's career. So although I, I, I became much more politically aware in the 80s with a minor strike, I think that was the real turning point. My stepfather, Terry, was a minor. He worked at the Lewis Merthyr Colliery and then the Beardy Colliery. And, you know, I was teaching in Nantaglow. I'd come back from London then. You know, I would go to Quicksave Bryn Mawr on a Friday, spend £15 on shopping for them because that was the maximum I could afford, drive across the heads of the valley, drop the food off at my mother and Terry's house, and then go and do some stuff with Mardi Women's Support Group, you know, sorting out, you know, the food and the tins and the, and the whatever. And that really was my political awareness raising I didn't, again, I didn't become explicitly involved in politics then because I just got back on with the day job. But, I mean, if anything raised any awareness, and I think, you know, the film Pride is fantastic. And, I, again, I have a, a great friend of mine is Sean James, who is what a character. And she's obviously represented in the film. And it just goes to show that ordinary people can make a difference. And it, it just took me a while um, to get back into 
active politics. Um, and I think it was probably, it was a frustration about the day job. I didn't want to have to move around the country to get a deputy headship or something. I really enjoyed working in, in Hawthorne in Pontypridd. I loved the job. My mother was always in poor health, but her health deteriorated. I didn't want to have to move that far away. So I thought, do you know what, I've got more to offer. Let's give a bit more time to politics. Let's get in there and do something. Um, you know, Tony Blair was in the ascendancy. He'd really changed the face of the Labour Party. And I thought, yeah, I can, you know, I can work with this. Let's go and do something. So I, and the millennium was facing us. I thought, I have to make a decision before the end of this century about what I'm going to do. I'm going to have to put my money where my mouth is. So I rejoined the Labour Party um, and did all the did all the jobs, all the lovely jobs, you know, branch secretary, you know, group chair, you know, all the stuff that you've got to do. Um, and then five years later, I got elected to Newport City Council. The thing is, though, that um, Tony Blair's politics was very different from the politics of the miners' strike, wasn't it? It was, but but it was it was. There was a lot of pragmatism, and that's kind of where I come from. I, I absolutely understand about, you know, party lines and, and, and party politics. But there's a sense of pragmatism, because our, we had a motion in Newport Council this week about the Newport to Ebervale line. Um, and so the leader of the opposition, a Tory, asked me to second it. So I looked at it long and hard and I looked at what the motion was and there wasn't anything actually party political in it. It just basically said, you know, dear Welsh Government, can you get on with this? We need this link to Newport. And the people out there want me to represent them. And, and you know, people are critical of politicians, but I think if they can see that there's a... Uh, a pragmatism about them, uh, so I was happy to second that motion, and I and and so was my group, and the full council said, Welsh government, can you help us to sort this out, please? Because do you know what? It's been going on for sixteen years. Well, one of the things that perhaps has characterised devolution in Wales over the whole period is the way in which a lot of things just don't happen. I remember in the very early uh, years of the uh, Assembly, a lot was being said about bed-blocking, or more politely, delayed mm. transfers of care. Yes. And talking about uh, somehow merging the budgets of a health service with local authority, social services departments. Mm -hmm. And yet, that's still being spoken of mm. now. Mm. What, what is it, do you think, that engenders this sense of slow-motion politics? Um answers on a postcard please because once <laughs> once we get the answer to that then then we can speed it up i can i can really only talk in detail about my experience as a local government politician martin and you know we have the discipline of having to set a balanced budget uh, the health boards you know don't have to do that um, if they overspend then you know that gap is plugged we don't have that luxury. If I don't have enough money to run Newport, I can't overspend. I have to cut something. So that brings, you know, that brings a different tension to the argument. And schools have to be open. Social services have to run. Street scene has to has to take place. Bins need to be emptied. Potholes filled. There's a discipline to running local government. So you can't faff around and think forever. 
just got to get on with it. And I think that's, that's again, where the pragmatism comes in because we run those services. You know, I put my hat in the ring for the deputy leadership election. Mm. Perhaps you heard. I did. Well, I spoke <laughs> to you about it, didn't I? Yeah. But, uh, <clears throat> yeah, that went well. Um, I mean, the problem there was that uh, while you're hugely respected in local government, there's no question about that, you couldn't get any AMs to back you, could uh, you? No, let's no. You know, fair dues. I had good support. There was there was certain you know, it's party political parameters. And look, I knew what the rules of the game were, so I'm I'm very happy to accept that those were the rules. But I needed twelve nominees. So although I had the eight Labour leaders in Wales behind me, they didn't count. So I needed either six AMs and six MPs, or nine AMs and three MPs. So I had plenty of support from AM colleagues. You know, particularly my colleagues in Newport. And, and elsewhere, very grateful for that, but I couldn't get a single MP to nominate me. Therefore, my nomination fell at um, not even Beaches Brook, you know, I couldn't get over the first hurdle. So that's the, you know, that's the semantics of politics, and, and I accept that. But I think what happened, because, you know, I was a credible candidate, and I talk about the triangle, you know, Parliament in Westminster, um, the Senate in Cardiff Bay and local government. We're a triangle and we're, and we're inescapable and inextricably linked. I think people have looked at it and said, well, you know, you, you know, she wasn't a duffer. She was a good candidate, but, you know, those those were impossible barriers. We need to relook at that. And we've got a party democracy review and hopefully that will feed into that. One of the other issues, of course, which is being discussed at uh, this uh, local democracy review is the issue of how to elect the leader. Mm. And Mm. it's become enormously controversial, particularly since the result of the deputy leadership in which Julie Morgan got nearly twice as many votes Mm. from ordinary members Mm. as Carolyn Harris. And yet Mm. Carolyn Harris ends Mm. up the leader because of the Mm. electoral college system. Mm. Do you think that that is sustainable? Well, there's been such a huge debate about it subsequently, I have to say that that will be part of the party democracy review and just talking to, you know, party members and other political colleagues, I think the weight of opinion has changed. Um, I I think it would be very unlikely if that continued. Um, I certainly will now be voting for one member, one vote. But will there be the possibility of changing it before the election of a new leader, leader. later in the year? I don't know. I don't. I don't know what the uh, again because you know parties are ruled by by the rule book and by uh, you know by by the parameters within that. So well, there's a will, there's a way. Yeah, I guess so. But you know, I'm far too Martin. I'm too far down the food chain <laughs> to to to. To be able to, to, to do that. But I think I certainly think, you know, I'm a member of the Welsh Executive Committee and I'm sure a discussion will take place there. I think the suggestion is that those who do not want to see Mark Drakeford elected as the leader, um, because it may very well be that because he is perceived to be on the left of the party mm-hmm. with all of the people who've joined the Labour Party over the last couple of years since yeah. Jeremy Corbyn became the leader, yeah. he would be the runaway favourite to win there. So the people who are resisting a move to Omov right. are those on the right of the party who okay. want to block him. Right, I see. What they're seeking to do is to manipulate democracy, aren't they, to stop yeah. the, 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 the favourite candidate getting elected? Yeah. Um, I, 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 think it's, I think that the whole deputy leadership... Um, contest has engendered this wider debate 
and I, I, I think that you know the time is ripe now to to look at that and review that. Whether it'll be there in place in time for the leadership uh, contest, I, I genuinely couldn't say. But you know, I'm a supporter of one member, one vote. Now, after seeing, you know, what not just what happened to me. I mean, you know, I as I said, I entered the game knowing what the rules were. I have no truck with that. But I think you have to look at how people who are not particularly politically motivated or have an interest in, you know, one particular party politics, uh, I think you have to look at how they're viewed. And it's trying to explain that to the general public. I mean, you know, I get the argument from union colleagues. You know, listen, I put my hand up in that WEC meeting and voted for the Electoral College. You know, there was was a, I think, 24 to 6 vote. I'll, I'll make no bones about it. But I think this process... And we're all entitled to review and change our opinions. Um, so, you know, that's where I am with it. You're listening to my podcast, Martin Shipton Meets. What did you think of Jeremy Corbyn in 2015 and what do you think of him now? Okay, um, I didn't vote for Jeremy Corbyn in either of the leadership elections. Um, I think that's that's widely known, but I am I am a party loyalist, of course. Uh, you know, I, I follow the rules. He's been elected leader, therefore, I am fully supportive of him as leader. Um, I think he's also changed and developed through the process. And if I look at the local elections last year, we we had a hard won fight here in Newport. We got thirty one out of fifty seats in the council. But the Corbyn factor in the general election was really quite remarkable. And if we had had the local elections on the same day, we would have done even, you know, even better than that. So, you know, he has engendered a debate. He has brought younger people back into politics. You know, I've met him several times. He's a thoroughly decent man. Um, very, very, you know, he stood by his principles all through his political life, which is more than you can say for some of us. And, uh, and he's clearly, you know, hit a note, hit a chord in, in, in the general public. Do you think he will be the Prime Minister? I want him to be the Prime Minister. I need him to be the Prime Minister. We cannot continue to run public services the way in which the current government in Westminster are starving us of resources. So... You are wholly against austerity policies? Totally. Because because they harm the people who we need to help most. You know, I, I worked all my life in education. You give people a decent home. You give people a decent start in life. You know, if if we bring everybody up to a certain level of, of, of decency, then we, we are doing... We're doing our best for society. I, I You know... Like it's probably the only thing I agree with with Peter Mandelson. You know, I'm I'm quite easy around millionaires. You know, I get millionaires. I, I was speaking to one earlier on this afternoon. You know, in um, you know, down in Celtic Springs, we got you know one of our top businesses. I went to speak to the managing director there. I get people in this office talking to me all the time about how they're going to develop things in, in Newport. Of course, I'm absolutely easy about that, but we need a fairness as well. And I think you know the line that Labour are putting out. Uh, for the many, not the few, is is absolutely. I go back to that earlier story of when I went to Dame Peggy Ashcroft's house. I saw a glimpse of how that strata of society operate. Well, that's all well and good, but do you know what? There's no point having people sleeping on the streets or 
um, the, the, it was the teaching conferences over Easter. Um, I used to attend them back in the day. And I was struck by some of the reports that the head teachers were talking about, about their children being grey-skinned, thin, coming into school on a Monday, um, having had you know a dreadful weekend, having to wash children's clothes in school now. Um, uh, Jane Jenkins, a head teacher in Cardiff, was quoted as saying that you know children come to school with with a slice of bread and margarine, and we supplement that. Martin, that's not. A society I want to live in, and this starving of the public realm—you know—it just—it just cannot continue. It cannot be right that some people have so much and others have so little. Let's let's you know let's bring up to a decent level where everyone has the public services they need and the support that they need, and then it makes for a better society. You know, the Scandinavian model. And yet, many people still seem to be persuaded by the alternative view, which is that we must cut a, cut our cloth according to what we can afford yeah. and that it's wrong to borrow <clears throat> money. <clears throat> um, I mean, there are those who would argue, I would argue myself, and I expect you would as well, that you need to borrow in order to invest and mm-hmm. that cutting uh, just doesn't work because it um, uh, takes money out of the economy and yeah. you just get into a downward spiral. And yet there are many people who aren't persuaded by that. And perhaps one could say that in the past, in the quite recent past, the Labour Party wasn't very good at explaining uh, mm. the economic theory mm. that it perhaps mm. ought to have espoused. Mm. Well, it's a long time ago since I did um, economic A-level with Mr Gareth Thomas back in Forth County. I, I think I just about scraped a pass in it. Um, and I, I, you know, I, I'm no... Um, you know, I'm no kind of political historian, but I do know that the way in which that society was rebuilt after the Second World War was by a, you know, was by that um, revolutionary Attlee government. I, I, I link it back to drama. There's um, there's a play called Absolute Hell by Rodney Ackland. I, I saw it at the National about 15 years ago, 20 years ago. Judy Dench starring in it. It was a, a, an undiscovered play. Um, and it's back on in, in, in the new season, and I'll be back there watching it. And it, it's it's set in a, a bit of a seedy London nightclub, but just after the election of the the new Labour government. Uh, and it's a, it's it's a fabulous piece. And there was so much hope, and you know we we and there's obviously the Marshall Plan, and there's all that other stuff that went on. So yes, we did borrow. Uh, we borrowed our way out enormously, but look what we built, a national health service, you know, an education service, uh, roads, new towns, hospitals, uh, railways. Uh, it, 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 I wouldn't have a house or a car if I hadn't borrowed. I, you know, I mean, I spent, you know, 25 years, 30 years of my life paying a mortgage. I'm still paying for cars because that's the other thing you don't know about me is I am very much a petrol head. I love cars. Yeah. Really? Yeah, my, my dad was production foreman at the Rover Motor Company. Um, that's why it's called Rover Way in Cardiff. So as a child, I would go there to open days and drive, pretend drive every Land Rover I could get my hand on. I assume you're fully in favour of the M4 Relief Road. Um, my personal view of the M4 Relief Road, it's not a Newport City Council view. We don't have a view on it as a council. But my personal view is that we need it to, to drive the economy of South Wales. So in terms of 
what is facing Wales and the UK at the moment with mm. Brexit. Mm. Obviously, the people of Newport voted for Brexit. They did, they? yeah. Uh, you didn't, I presume? No, I didn't. I was a Remainer or a Ramona or whatever they want to call me. I, I, I think I've seen the, the benefits personally of working more closely and without the barriers to trade. But, you know, I'm a Democrat and if that's what the people have voted, then, you know, I absolutely follow the line that we have to follow that. Um, there is, uh, you know, talk in some quarters about having a referendum before the final deal, you know, let the people decide. Um, I, I, you know, again, I have mixed views about that because, you know, how many more times do you want to ask people the same question? They've given you the answer uh, and let's get on with it. Personally, I think it'll be a disaster if we're not in the customs union. Um, the issue about Ireland and Northern Ireland, you know, uh, sensible people uh, are, are saying things that, you know, that, that I agree with, that that will be affected. Um, the th- straight after the Brexit vote, you know, I had um, several businessmen who have interests in Newport, but not necessarily from Newport in here. And they were, you know, completely concerned about what will happen with Brexit. Now, I had some of those same businessmen in here just a fortnight ago, and they were less concerned, and they were talk, They were talking about the enormous interest that China now has in the UK market, and they were um, trying to reassure me that this will be a really positive um, economic outcome for us. So, you know, they're in business every day. They're multimillionaires. I'm not. Um, so, you know, I, I just try and get as much information as I can from people outside the political circle to see, you know, what's really going on. But I, I think it's a huge unknown quantity. And anyone who says they know what's going to happen, I think, is misguided. I was talking to Gina Miller a couple of days ago, mm. uh, the woman who um, yes. succeeded in yes. the legal action against the UK government yeah. over the uh, needs mm. to have a proper parliamentary vote on Article yeah. 50. And she was uh, expressing very serious concern to me about the consequences and okay. she's saying that if there isn't a proper uh, vote at the end of the process, which would have to involve, she says, an act of parliament yeah. rather than just a resolution, then she'll go back to court to right. pursue it again. And what she said to me was that she thinks there's been a, a huge uh, loss of leadership. Okay. That, that politicians, actually, in both parties, just mm. haven't shown the leadership that they ought to be showing at this time. Yeah. Uh, because this is probably potentially the most cataclysmic thing that's happened uh, to the UK for mm. many years. And uh, she just thinks it's unacceptable for people to say, oh, the people have voted, and therefore, mm. even though we think that bad consequences are going to come, mm. we should just let events take their course. Mm. That's what her view is. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, she's absolutely entitled to that view. And, and you know, Anna's actually, you know, she's put her money where her mouth is, hasn't she? You know, she's really, you know, put herself head above the parapet. Uh, and she's had a, a hell of a lot of extremely unpleasant, she has. racist and misogynistic abuse. Yes, yes, she has. Um, uh, th- that's an interesting thought, the, the lack of leadership, the absence of leadership. Um you know, I'm 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 very clear about what I 
need to do as a leader and what I try to do in running this city and in leading the WLGA. Um, not easy, uh, difficult, you know, difficult every day really, but um, I draw on my uh, long and and valuable experience of doing a real job for 30 years. Um, going back to the Brexit issue, I genuinely, I, I I, I don't know. And I, I, I find her, you know, I, I find her comments very valid. I mean, that's really making me think now because, you know, she's probably one of the leading experts in the country in it, isn't she? So, um, yeah, I'll go away and think about that. But the absence of leadership is a shame because there's, you know, plenty of people out there who pretend they're leaders. Indeed. And mm. I, I mean, she also made the point that um, it took 12 months to do the easy bit, if you yes. like, in terms of the pre-negotiation. Sure. Now we've got very few months <clears throat> left mm. in order to get a comprehensive agreement. Mm. And it doesn't look mm. very promising. Mm. And indeed, the UK government hasn't actually actually said precisely what it wants mm. at the end of the day. Mm. Michel Barnier, the EU's <clears throat> chief negotiator, made a speech the other day in which he was making that very point. Mm. And have you met Theresa May? No, I I did have an opportunity to meet her on March the 1st this year, but of course, you know, snow stopped play. So I think in the capacity of leader of the WLGA, myself and the chief executive, Steve Thomas, were invited to the St. David's Day event at number 10. It's probably my only chance ever. Um, and I don't know if I would have met her there. She would have been in the room, but, you know, whether... I would have met her, of course. You know, that's party politics for you, isn't it? There are many people who will say to you, including me, that um, conversing with Theresa May uh, is not an inspiring okay. event. And I hope they don't say that about me. <laughs> I've not heard people say this about you. <clears throat> but that um, for somebody who is the Prime Minister, sure. she just doesn't really yeah. have a clear idea. She tends to um, repeat Phrases. I mean, we saw that strong and stable, election. strong yeah. and stable. Yeah. Uh, and then when it comes to talking about Brexit, she just um, mm. parrots yeah. phrases. Yeah. Um, and it does not inspire confidence. Yeah. Yeah, it's um, it's a, it's a tricky one, isn't it? Because you know, it's I I tr- you know try not to comment on on what other what other people do, but again, I I relate a lot back to the old day job, and you know, the best teachers were the ones that could communicate with the class. You keep discipline because you've got to you've got to get them in. They've got to sit down and they've got to listen. But it's that communication is absolutely vital. And I think if people don't think you're listening to them or that you are reflecting back what you've heard and and that you have a view, uh, you know, I don't have a view about everything, and I'm certainly not right about everything. But I do, tr- you know, and I will always put my hand up and say, you know, like like these Brexit issues. No, Martin, it's not a. Although it's a, I think it's a, you know, a massive issue facing the country, I don't have a great deal of expertise about it. And so some of my answers may have been a bit muted because I, I don't really know that much about it, but I'm never frightened of saying I don't know. But do you know what? I'll go away and find out. Local government reorganisation has really... Whoa, I know a lot about that. <laughs> I mean, we thought that we had perhaps reached a conclusion as far as that was concerned. Yes, before, so, so did it's I. It's now been resurrected. So yeah. what, what do you make of what's going on now? Okay, so we have a change of um, cabinet secretary. We settled down to what we thought were Mark Drake's, Drakeford's proposals. Um, we still had an issue about the word mandation. Um, we didn't reject 
Mark Draper's proposals. We we embraced them. We had an issue about the word mandation. It was going to be a negotiation um, for us. So he was on one side, we were on the other. We would have probably met somewhere in the middle. Because, you know, we've done loads in terms of regional working. Can you imagine in your long career, Martin, 10 local government leaders getting around a table and agreeing agreeing on again around the table you know somebody told me yesterday that it took four years back in the 90s for the leaders of the big um, county councils it took them four years to get around a table for local government reorg four years blimey it's a world away now the people running local government are professional we've got um, a, a focus a purpose we know what we're doing and we get on and you know, in terms of the Cardiff Capital Region that I'm involved with, it is absolutely brilliant to see that even after a change of government, governments in last May and a change of political, um, you know, numbers, we all are still signed up to that purpose of making this region better. Um, and some of the people who are the most uh, are the most enthusiastic about it and leading the way have probably some of the you know the least outcomes in their own authorities it really is working together for the greater good and it's a fantastic template of how local government can work i mean with the cardiff deal it's 52 percent of the population of this country in those 10 authorities working together and this is what you know we we said to mark drakeford Look at what we're doing. We've got the four, and we've got the growing Mid Wales. We've got the the Swansea City deal, um, and you know Aaron Shotton and guys in the, the North Wales um, Growth Partnership. These are templates for working together. Let's not have artificial structures imposed from above that civil servants think up in Cardiff Bay and say, do you know what? Let's give it to those lo- that local government lot. Let's shove it to them. Let's put out a green paper with three options. Option one: merger. Option two, merger. And guess what option three is? Merger. So, you know, that's a real, that's that's really consultative. And we've... Um, Do you think Alan Davis has got any chance of getting us through? Um, not in his present form, clearly, because there isn't, there isn't a Labour local government leader in favour of it. I, I've been quite clear and on the record as saying, I don't believe that we will have 22 councils one day. But I'm not talking about having 10. I'm talking about people, you know, I wouldn't want to restrict anyone who wanted to merge. If two councils wanted to merge and they had, you know, the for the right reasons and the business case and the, you know, ability, whatever, you know, it, it wouldn't be up to me to argue against that. But they have to come to it holistically and incrementally. And this top-down artificial structure, you know, What's what's the purpose of it? Um, I I I know they've put a, a consultation out called you know hashtag strong local gov, and the first question is something like, um, do you want stronger, bigger local councils in Wales? Um, well, you know, I can think of better ways of designing questionnaires than asking questions it like that. Sounds a bit methodologically unsound. Well, it, it, there, there you go. But um, <coughs> look, the consultation's open till June the tenth. Uh, we will put um, a strong and robust response into the consultation from local government and we will point out the reasons why. But at the moment, what we need, you know, and I would implore Welsh Government to understand this, 
we are doing all we can to work through the austerity agenda. We've cut billions and billions of pounds from local government in the last eight years. We're doing a damn good job. Um, on the whole, there are very few authorities in, in any kind of special measures, if any, for anything. You know, we, we, we run your schools, we run your social services, we collect your litter, we we do your potholes, we, we run things. We're at the front end of government in Wales. Um, this obsession with reorganisation, do you know what? It's... We, you know, we could do without it at the moment. No, nobody wants it. What we want is properly funded public services to bring people's lives up to a certain standard of decency. That's what we want. There is this other element, isn't there, in Wales where people from other parts of Wales often look to Cardiff and say, mm. everything's going <clears> to <throat> Cardiff, it's yeah. not fair, and we want a piece of the action as well. Mm. Um, I mean, in a sense, you're in two camps, aren't you? Because mm. you're in Newport, which yeah. is part of the Cardiff capital yes. region. Um, and yet, I'm afraid it has to be said, doesn't it, that Newport is somewhat overshadowed by Cardiff. Yeah, it's, 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 yeah it, it has been seen, I think, historically as, you know, it's Wales' third city. So it's, you know, it's wedged between Cardiff and Bristol and therefore has had to take the hit from that. But... You know, things are changing and this, this sense of cooperation. And, you know, at the end of the day, right, I want our capital city to have all the kudos that it needs. It's our capital city. It needs an airport. It needs a good, um, you know, um, um, travel, um, you know, what's it called? The, uh, you know, the railway stuff the uh, interchange interchange yeah and and the you know a central station and a hub and and what you know it's our capital city we need all that in cardiff um and in fact uh, apparently I, I can't quantify this but i've been told this that in terms of monies um cardiff has had less money than the rest of wales you know in terms of you know grants and and, and and public monies. So, you know, Cardiff has, has developed out of its own dynamism. And, you know, I'm not touting to be leader of Cardiff here, by the way. I just, <laughs> you know, Hugh Thomas does a fantastic job. Um, but uh, I think, you know, I think we have to recognise the, um, the qualities of our capital city and we've got to build on that. We've got to build on that success. Yes, we, you know... The, the, the congestion in, in Cardiff is appalling. Um, getting in and out, you know, he would be the first, I'm sure, to, to recognise. Although he's got a new bike scheme, hasn't he, running now? And he's very proud of that. And, well, you know, well done for doing that. We, we you know, we, we have to recognise that that kind of overheating isn't good for the rest of the economy and for the rest of the city. So if the rest of us have a bit of that action, that, that would be brilliant. And I think that's the concept between... The regional working, but not to take away from Cardiff, because you know the you know we need a powerful capital city. One thing which we haven't spoken about, mm -hmm. which we haven't touched on at all up mm -hmm. until now, is the issue of gender politics. Right, and in a way, I find that quite refreshing because I've yeah. been talking to you as the respected leader of Newport City Council yeah. and of the Welsh Local Government Association. Yeah. And you're respected, if I may say so, not because you are a woman. You are, yeah. of course, a woman. Yeah. But because I was the last time I looked. <laughs> <laughs> but because you're, you do a good job. Yeah. 
What's your perspective on gender politics, uh, Debbie? Well, I think um, that I, you know, I'm the first woman leader of Newport. Well, that took till 2016. The first woman leader of the WLGA, well, that took till 2017. So those things took too long to get there. Um, again, in, in my former career, I never thought about being a woman teacher. I was just a teacher. Uh, I, and I've never thought about being a woman politician. But I absolutely understand the barriers to women's representation. And I am a firm supporter of all women's shortlist because... Um, it's it's quite clear that the I think we've got 19 women have been MPs or La- Labour women have been MPs in in Wales since the beginning of the last century. Um, you know, compare that to hundreds of men. You know, and I'm a great admirer of the work of Baroness Anita Gale, who really put this um, on the agenda and has done more to raise that that profile of women. So so it becomes a natural thing that you don't think about me as being, you know, a woman leader, but just by being being a leader or a, or a leading politician. But we we still have a long long way to go. Um we've got uh, the local government elections last year, I think we had something like 28% of women uh, became councillors, you know, which was up from 26% in um in 2012. Well, you know, two percent in five years I mean that's pretty dismal so we have to make uh, a space where women feel and and you know BME candidates so the whole kind of diversity agenda we have to make people feel that this is for us I'd like to think I'm a good role model I was a good role model to my pupils I've got um, there's a very successful drama teacher in Willows, Cardiff, okay? And it was the Educating Cardiff series, and her name is Carla Windmill Lewis. And I taught her in Hawthorne. She was a fantastic pupil. She got an A at A level in theatre studies, delightful pupil throughout school. She's now a wonderful drama teacher in her own right. And I was very humbled that she said on the Educating Cardiff programme, I had a wonderful teacher called Debbie Wilcox, and she said to me, I am your best resource. And she said, I've tried to follow in that line. So role modelling is very important um, and and making a safe space and an accessible space for women so we can put meetings on at appropriate times um, and to try and show uh, a, a range of candidates that politics is for them being a counsellor is for them. You know, if they're community activists, then this is a really, really interesting way of of making a difference and making a change. Of course, political parties, starting with Labour, did introduce measures to try to get more women in. Yeah. Um, there was the twinning arrangements that took place in the first Assembly election yes. back in 99. Um, I know that Plaid Cymru had a, a zipping system on its list candidates yeah. to put women at the top. Uh, I think the Tories have tried to do something with an A-list thing. Uh-huh. Um, so that's all very well. But of course, in her report, Laura McAllister mm-hmm. is proposing that there ought to be some legislative change where actually built into the election system itself, there should be, as it were, equality mm-hmm. in terms of candidacy. Mm-hmm. Do you go along with that? Well, I know she changed things at Sport Wales, didn't she? When she was running Sport Wales, she brought in a wider range of candidates to become um, board members there. So she has experience of running a very positive model of that. Uh, I 
I, I just feel that, you know, whatever the, again, I haven't read that in, in much detail, but whatever the, the detail of that is, if, if, we don't, if we don't bring in quotas or all women shortlists, and I've, I've already said that I'm in favour of those, then we will continue to have um, the same old, same old. We can't, you know, with a, with a virtual 50-50 split of men and women in our society, um, I, I just don't think it's feasible to have, you know, 28% of councillors as women, um, which means that, you know, 72% of councillors are men. You know, we've got the better gender balance in the Assembly, but then, you know, look up the M4 to to the, you know, the lovely House of Commons, and you just... I mean, there are changes now. I mean, I've seen changes in my lifetime. Do you know, back in 1983, I was teaching in Nantiglow, and I brought a group of school children down to the Reardon Smith Lecture Theatre, and it was a BBC Two programme being filmed that night, and we were all very excited. And, and George Thomas was the guest speaker. And, you know, I was always emboldened, so I asked him a question, and I said to him... Mr. Thomas, um, society consists of a 50-50 split and you mentioned in your speech about Parliament holding up a mirror to society, but that, and this is 83 now, I said, but there are hardly any women in Parliament. How can that possibly be holding a mirror up to society? I don't think he was very happy. Um, he gave me some kind of garbled response. I can't remember what it was. But what was interesting was I asked that in the television programme. I was about like the sixth or seventh questioner. And when they when they edited it, didn't have videos in those days, right? We're talking 83. Um, I was put out as question number one. So clearly the producer had thought that was a really good question. You know, I know now. I didn't think at the time. But the producer had thought that was a really good question. So it shoved me in as the first question. Um, and I... And yeah, and I kind of I've kept with that belief. You know, we have to have equal representation if we have to find ways and means of getting there. And you know, the the argument. I mean, the arguments are right. Unless it's an all women shortlist, how many women have been selected for Parliament? Anne Cloyd, Madeline Moon. That's about it, isn't it? You know. It is. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so you know, I, I re- and we would have you know we would have lost you know the the wonderful energetic Sean James you know. The um, you know the the absolute you know the great representative for Newport, Jessica Morden. Um, I I came second in that, by the way. Yeah, just just you know, we've remained good friends. Though. Do you still so, have parliamentary or assembly aspirations? Uh, the trouble is, this job is absolutely addictive. Local government. Um, I I wouldn't have parliamentary aspirations. I think I'm probably a decade too late for that now. Um, You know, there there are times when, you know, do you want to whiz up and down the M4? Well, probably not. Um, Assembly, I wouldn't rule it out, but I absolutely adore being a leader of local. And people say to me, don't go and be a backbencher down the Assembly. You've You've got much more to do running Wales with WLGA and running Newport. So, you know, I do I do take people's advice. But, you know, the Assembly needs good people down there. Um, and I'm, you know, fairly good at what I do. So not I, I wouldn't rule that out. But Parliament, no, nah, I'm too old to get on the M4 every Monday and Thursday. Have you decided who you're going to support in the Welsh Labour leadership election? Well, what I learned when I rang round and asked them to, you know, could I get their support, was the majority of them said to me, uh, we want to see who else is standing, Debbie, before we give you our view. So do you know what? Back at them. I want to see who else is standing before I decide who I'm going to support. 
Debbie Wilcox, thank you very much indeed. Thank you, Martin. Been a pleasure. Thanks for listening to my podcast, Martin Shipton Meets. We'll be back for more next week. Thank you.